Hey, guys. So happy to be here. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, I just love Elevate Church. I love you guys. I'm so excited to get this opportunity. My name is Andy. Uh, I'm the chaplain at the Erie City Mission. Uh, do a bunch of other stuff, but I can't tell you about that today. Not enough time. So I'm excited about being here because you guys are awesome. Can we give another round of applause for our, our veterans, our service people? Uh, I will be using uh, the iPad today uh, for my notes because all cool preachers now use and preach off the iPad. Um, it is new, and I do not know what I'm doing with it. I had to, ma- I had to ask him back there. Uh, okay, how do you get it to lock so it doesn't go dark during my... So. I just want to quick say hello uh, to the folks out uh, in Overflow. I know there's some people out there. Uh, welcome to Elevate Church. And I want to start with a story about a friend. Uh, my friend's name was Jimmy. And a n- number of years ago when we uh, started that church that met downtown in Erie at the cell block. I was doing some volunteering at the Erie City Mission before I worked there. And during one of the devotionals, I met this gentleman that came for lunch. His name was Jimmy. And we talked about what he was doing and where he was at and what he was struggling with. And he, he told me a story. And I said, well, why don't you come to church at our church? He's like, where do you guys meet? I said, the cell block. He was like, <laughs> seriously, where do you meet for church? I was like, that's where we meet. He's like, I, I'll come just to see that. And so he came, and, and we became friends. And he was struggling with an addiction. And at the time that we met, he was about nine months clean. And he came, and, and we became friends, and I had him share his story. And, and on and off... He, he fell back into his addiction and then would get clean and then fall back. And, but he would invite me into his life. And we would get coffee and I would buy the coffee and we would talk. And he invited me over to his house. And he lived downtown and he, I walked into his apartment and it was covered with sketches that he had drawn. And I said, Jimmy, you are amazing. I mean, his artwork was incredible. It was everywhere. Scraps of paper, big, big, huge pieces of paper and canvas paintings and just amazing, like unbelievable. Have you tried to sell this? Have you done anything with it? He was like, oh, this or that. And I said, the other thing is, how many cats do you have? <laughs> They're everywhere. It's like 13. <laughs> okay. Uh, no judgment. I'm just saying that's a lot of cats. <laughs> and he was eclectic, eccentric, flamboyant would be a good word. I mean, just, just personality plus, plus. And we had such a fun time. He's hysterical. And over the years... We would come in contact with each other, and he was struggling and, and just felt stuck and couldn't get out and struggling to what it means to be a dad separated from his, 
his son and, and didn't know what he was doing with that and had friends that were struggling with addiction. And he introduced me to his, his community uh, uh, of people, which aren't, wasn't the normal group of people I hung out with, but they were awesome. They were amazing people with incredible stories. And I just fell in love with this, this community that he had and these friends. And he had one friend that was struggling with a heroin addiction, his best friend. And I had visited her at, at her house and, and then she passed away. And Jimmy asked me to do the funeral. I, I agreed to that. And he said, uh, I just want you to know that I'm going to do something in the funeral. I don't know what yet, but it's, you'll know when I do it. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's going to be, I mean, that's what she would want. That, I mean, it's, it'll be something. I was like, all right. Um, and then the funeral, day of the funeral came, and I, I, I was up, and I was ready to go, and, and everybody was there, and Jimmy wasn't there. And uh, my friend, the Van Maters, Brian Van Mater, was doing the funeral. Uh, he was the director. And uh, Brian is an awesome guy. He's a musician. He does keyboard, and we work together out of McLean Church. But Brian um, is the kind of guy, well, let me, I don't know how to describe Brian. He's awesome, but he's about as far on the spectrum of personality different than Jimmy, as you can get, like, this chill and straight-laced kind of dude, you know? He's in the back. No Jimmy. But I have in my mind what he said. I'm going to do something. I was like, oh. I have to start, so I started. And I don't know, I was here a while back, and I remember I told the story about my first sermon at the bar and the skeleton and the Halloween and the skeleton flying towards me with the two middle fingers. Do you remember that story? <laughs> so this, this is another uh, story about uh, the middle finger. So, <clears throat> so there it was, started this ser the sermon, the funeral, he's not around. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking back. Nobody can see it, but I can see it. Brian Van Mater, his face. He's doing this, like, with this look of horror. But all I can see is the open doorway space and Brian and his, like. Then all of a sudden, from the back of the church, <laughs> Jimmy jumps out. Gives me the sign. <laughs> During the funeral. Nobody else can see what's happening. <laughs> They're wondering what has happened to me. And the, and the look on Brian's face was somewhere between horror confusion and hilarity all at the same all that was worth every bit of what just happened <laughs> i can't make this stuff up it's this is real stuff and he he jumps back and disappears then he jumps back out does it again he's and he's dressed in like sparkly 
uh, tuxedo tails <laughs> and a big, huge, fluffy, purple scarf thing. Just whoo. And he comes up the aisle and he walks all the way up to me. He's like, I got something to say. And I go over to him, and I love this guy, and I give him a hug, and I just whisper in his ear, please, make it brief. Because <laughs> I know I can't control what he says. <laughs> I'm just hoping he keeps it short. <laughs> and he says what he had to say, and he goes to the front row and sits down. <laughs> He's right in front of me. Not distracting at all. <laughs> it, he was an amazing person. Amazing story. He had a love for Jesus and he was stuck. He didn't know how to deal with the things that he felt and the struggle that he had. And we remained friends. I actually just saw him a few, a few weeks ago. He was, stayed in our shelter for couple nights, until he got an apartment. And I loved him. We, we were friends. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you've walked a journey with that was stuck. And, and maybe today, that this talk is about two different groups. Maybe you're here today and you feel that way. Not necessarily an addiction, but something in your life is holding you back or holding you down. You feel like it's a weight on you that you can't seem to shake. Or maybe you're walking a journey with somebody that you love very dearly that is really struggling. And I don't know which is worse. But if you are the individual, sometimes it seems more painful the people that are walking the journey with somebody that they love that's struggling because you almost would rather it be you. And so I'm hoping that today that this speaks to both groups. It's a story that made me think as I thought about this song. There's that part in the song where it says you're stuck in reverse. When you have done your best and still can't succeed. When you get what you want but not what you need. And I feel like so many of us have those moments where we're just not sure. And our thoughts are like, God, why is it this way? Why am I feeling like this? Why can't I get the answer that I need? And you're trying everything. You're talking to people. You're watching videos. You're doing whatever you can, but you just feel like you can't get the answer. The story that came to mind was John chapter 11. And to set this up, Jesus is told that his really good friend, Lazarus, is sick. But he doesn't leave right away. And we find in John chapter 11, him arriving to the town where his friend has now passed, 
and his sisters, Martha and Mary, are grieving. So this is John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go there, or you can just follow along with me on the screen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she had got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Being stuck in reverse means that despite your efforts, you still feel like you're not even making progress, you're going backwards. Yesterday morning, I was doing some reading, some praying, and I'll oftentimes I'll drive down to the, right by my house, there's that park at Glenwood, and there's a little parking lot there, and it had snowed, and we got like a foot of snow, and it pulled in there, and then one of the snow, two of the snowplow trucks came in to push their snow in there and then turn around and get out, and when he turned around, I mean, these are big, the dump trucks that hold all the stuff and they plow, he couldn't, he couldn't get out. And so he put it in reverse, and he backed up to get a little run at it and move forward a little bit, but less forward. And then he backed up and moved even less forward. And then he backed up and moved less. I'm like, oh, this, this is not going to go well. So I just backed out and pulled out and went on my way. And after I did that, I felt like, I just kind of felt like a jerk, but like, I mean, what am I going to do? Dump truck. There's another dump truck there. They'll figure it out. (laughs) And I feel like sometimes we're in that place in life where we're we're trying to get a run at it. We're we're stepping back and, and, and and we're making less progress than we were before. 
And I think in those moments, it's really important for us to understand that you have to acknowledge the situation that you're in. You have to own it and be honest with yourself about where you're at. Because if you don't know where you are, it's really hard to get to where you want to go. Right? Amen? No? Confused? So if you don't know where you are, right? So if you want to get to New York City from Grove City, you just get on I-80. Straight shot. Awesome. Great trip. Beautiful. Pennsylvania. But if you want to get to New York City and you think you're in Grove City, but you're in Jacksonville, Florida, and you drive directly east, Yes. Simple concept. You're not going to get there. You really, it's really important to know where you are. <laughs> and that's what this brutal honesty does, this acknowledgement of where we are. A lot of times, we don't like to admit that we're stuck, that we're struggling, that we need help, that we can't do this alone. We, we don't like that. We like to confess that we're not where we are. Except that you are where you are. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that we don't have faith. It just means that you can't get to where you're going if you don't know. You can't fix a problem that you are denying that you have. And one time, my friend and I, he's actually, turned out, he was actually at the service last night. I use a story that he invited me to go deliver the Sunday paper. Now, I don't know if you've ever delivered a Sunday paper or you've known anybody to deliver the Sunday paper, but if you're thinking about doing that job, don't. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> and my job in this duo was to be in the back of the minivan where the seats were removed and all of the papers were there and there were stacks and you had to put the things together, give them, roll the paper, and hand it to them. And I don't know if you know this about delivering the mail, but there is a lot of stopping and starting. <laughs> and if you've ever tried to do some activity in a car while it's moving, When it's stopping and starting in your bed, I rolled all over the back of that minivan all night long, trying to put the things together and roll them up and hand them. I have never been so sick in my entire life. It was horrendous. In about three in the morning, in the middle of the winter, it was five degrees, we pull up, we, hand, we, we put the thing in the box, and then all of a sudden I feel the minivan do this. I was like, hmm, that seems bad. <laughs> and how many people have been stuck before? All right, come on. We live in Erie, Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> A bunch of us. And you do the thing first, right? What do you do first? You rock it. And man, did we try to rock that thing. We rocked it, baby. And it did absolutely nothing. You know, when you go to rock it and it Nothing happens at all. It's bad. 
So you get out to try to evaluate the situation. What's wrong? The wheels, like, disappeared. So I went around the back to the ditch to see if I could push on the... And when I stood in the ditch and pushed on it, I just pushed myself down into the ditch. The snow was like... So now I'm like... Help. (laughs) All right, I know... Can you pull me out before you pull the van out? Because it's cold here in the ditch. (laughs) We had to call my father, three in the morning, dad in his four-wheel drive truck. I don't know how we got a hold of my dad in the middle of the night. Actually, I did. We just called his cell phone. And he answered it. I'm not sure why he answered it, but I'm glad he did. Pulled us out. If in life you find yourself stuck, you you get to a point where you realize you can't do this on your own. You have to reach out for help. And if you're struggling in something that you can't get out of, the quicker you recognize that you need help and own that and understand where you're at and honest with yourself about the fact that you're stuck, the quicker you can get help and realize You can invite somebody into the process. And if you're walking with somebody that's struggling through something, sometimes you also feel helpless because oftentimes you don't know what to do. You don't know how to help. And the problem, if you're talking about addiction or even somebody that just doesn't know what to do and you're trying to help and you don't know what to do and you're giving advice and they're not receiving your advice. You're giving them some great advice, but they're not taking it. But they haven't been asking for your advice. And I think it's really important to know that unsolicited advice is always taken as criticism. Just, that's free for you couples and stuff. (laughs) Why'd you do it that way? (laughs) That always goes over great, don't it? But you want to help. And and as my father said, sometimes we want to help in the worst way, and that's what we end up doing. So what do you do? You feel helpless in those moments. I love what Martha does. She owns it, doesn't she? She comes to Jesus, and she said Hey, we asked you to come, and you didn't right away. Now my brother is dead. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's feeling pain. She's questioning God. She's like, I don't know why you decided not to come right away. Why wouldn't you be here? Don't you care about my situation? But I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And she owns, and there's this tension where we live. It's okay to question. It's okay to ask. It's okay to be upset. God is big enough to deal with your questions. He's big enough to deal with your doubts and your struggles. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, he already knows. You're not catching him by surprise. By sharing it. 
So just share. He wants you to speak that out. But Martha is in a place where she says, but I know. I don't understand. I don't like it, but I know. There's this line in the, in the song, and, and for Coldplay fans, I'm sorry, I'm taking a little bit of poetic license here, and I don't want to upset anybody because I know there's some hardcore Coldplay fans, so I'm probably not going to really just unpack this whole song. What I want to do, uh, if you can give me some of that freedom, is to focus on the next line, this too in love to let it go. And I think so often, if we're struggling in something, at least we know what that something is. And what we need to do is let it go and surrender and, and move, but the painful familiar is often more comforting than the scary future that could be better. And so we hold on to this stuff. And if we're struggling or walking with somebody that's struggling, sometimes we have trouble letting them go. To love them in the way that they need love, which is not always giving them what they're asking for, but creating a boundary. And that's hard. And it's one of the hardest things for families to go through in the process. If you're talking about addiction recovery, you know, we say that there are some things in the 12 steps and the first step is acknowledge that there's a problem. The second step is only God can restore you to sanity. And the third step is surrender your life and will to God. And that sounds a lot like the Bible. Because the people that came up with the 12 steps were Christians and they got it out of the Bible. And the scriptures talk about the need. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in faith in the Son of God. Jesus says, to take up your cross daily and follow me. That idea of surrender is to turn my life and will over to him because I cannot do it alone. The reason why you feel like you can't do it alone is because you can't do it alone. And the reason why you can't fix the other person or you feel like you can't fix them is because you can't fix them. And I get the sentiment of the, the author of this song because he wants to step in in this grieving moment with this other person and fix them. But we have to learn to surrender. We have to learn to let that go to let God take over to surrender control of our life or trying to fix the other person and let God work in it and I love this next refrain where he says and I and I and I because to me what that says is that I'm just going to be there in the struggle with you I'm just going to walk the struggle with you and be there. I can't fix it, but I'll be there. I, this is what we call empathy. And empathy is really important. And listen, Christians sometimes are horrible at this. 
The end. <laughs> and not just Christian people. People are horrible at this. They don't know. They, we feel like we need to fix or do something. Or, and, and sometimes just being in there with them, I will be here. I will walk this journey with you. I'm going to try to do what's best, but I don't know what that is. I'm going to surrender and let God do his work because I am not God. I had a, a friend that actually was here at the last service. And he told me about a story. He lost his brother. His brother was his best friend. He said at the funeral, his brother and his mother, his family was, were there, the receiving line. and People are coming through. And one guy, a fellow churchgoer, jumps in front of him and says, you might be sad, but I'm not sad. Praise the Lord. He's with Jesus in heaven. Give that like three seconds, and how many of you would want to just punch that guy right in the face. Why? Is it true? Yes. Yes, it's true. We have hope in Christ. But denying the painful, hurtful brokenness that we feel of a world that doesn't work the way it should in a relationship that has been severed because death has taken somebody before their time without recognizing the pain and the struggle is just wrong. And feels painful to acknowledge that and to stand in the moment with somebody is really difficult. And I just want you to know, I let you off the hook, folks. It's better just to keep your mouth shut. Just if you feel like giving advice or what, you no, just don't, just don't. Just give them a little hug, you know, Christian side hug or something. Move on your way. <laughs> I'm here, just, I'm here, I love you, I'm sorry. It's hard to stay in the moment because we don't like to see other people struggle. But to acknowledge that that person's feelings are valid, to acknowledge that they're struggling, and it's not even that you have to condone somebody. Empathy isn't about condoning behavior, it's about standing in the moment and understanding them and understanding their pain and, and being there. And that's hard to do. to acknowledge the pain and yet to hold on to the hope. See, Christ came, and what did Jesus do? See, Martha had this, but Jesus, I know, but Mary didn't have that. She was just like, my brother wouldn't have died if you were here. And how does Jesus respond? He sees her pain. He sees the other people's pain. And Jesus wept. He wept. Why is Jesus crying? He's about to raise the guy from the dead, and he knows that. Why didn't he just say, Mary, come on. I'm going to raise him from the dead in like five minutes. Just come on. What are you crying for? Get out of here. Come on. Like, no, she, he, he wept. 
in that moment to feel the pain of brokenness. See, you know why death doesn't feel good and seems wrong and brokenness seems wrong and broken relationships seem wrong? You know why? Because it's wrong. Death wasn't the plan. Death was the consequence of a world gone wrong. It feels wrong because it is. And I'm so glad that in those moments, we have a savior that understands our pain, that walks with us in this broken world and understands our struggle and our doubt and our inability to to know what to do and, and walks in and through that with us. And yet, he is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him will live even though he dies. And today we understand that we have a savior that walks with us in our pain and in our struggle. That we get to surrender and say, I can't do this. Knowing that he comes in and feels the pain of the brokenness of living out a life in a world that doesn't work the way it should, but holds out the hope that he, in that relationship with us, is the resurrection and the life. That this thing will pass. That there is hope and joy in this life and in the life to come. That we can rejoice eventually, but it's okay to grieve the loss and brokenness that we feel and sense in our world. We can't fix it, but he can I can't fix you. You can't fix that person that you love, but he can. I end with a story about a friend named Chris. And Chris was the kid in my block, and my block was very big because we lived in the woods, and it was like four miles around. And uh, there wasn't very many people, so you had to be friends with whoever was close. And uh, he was one of the close ones. But he was great, and we were good friends. He was a kid that was a couple years older than me that that taught me all the stuff that I probably shouldn't know. (laughs) Like all the great music of the 70s and 80s, like Judas Priest. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Def Leppard and uh, whoever else. And he's the one that taught me about sex, which I'm glad I learned the real stuff after that. (laughs) I was like nine. I was like, what? (laughs) He was a friend, and as he got into high school, he got into a bad crowd, began to drugs and alcohol, and, and we got reconnected some years later, and I learned that he was really struggling, and and one night, this is, I was uh, graduating from college, and I, I was with a friend, and we were walking around Ed- Edinburgh, and I was, uh, it was one in the morning, and we were just praying, and I felt like I should pray for my friend, Chris. And so I prayed that God would let me meet him, and that we could reconnect it, I could share Christ with him. And I, this is, I looked up, and he was walking towards me. I was like, wow, that was fast. 
And we began to talk, and he, he was homeless. He lost his place to live. And, and I, I was not married at the time. I said, well, why don't you come stay with me? And he came over, and we prayed, and he accepted Christ. And through the years, he went back into his struggle with alcohol, and, and we got disconnected and reconnected at different times. And I had seen him for like eight or ten years, and uh, just a few weeks ago, my mom said, hey, have you, have you seen Chris around? And I was like, no, why do you ask? She's like, I don't know, I was just thinking about him. Okay, mom. Uh, two weeks ago on Monday morning on CTL, we were giving away a ticket for my conference that we had on Friday, and they take the fifth caller. It was Chris. He won the ticket. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I was just listening to CTL. and uh, Sorry, CTL. I was about to turn it off. <laughs> and uh, then I heard you were coming on. I thought I'd stay on. And then I don't even know what the ticket was for, but I thought I'd call in. <laughs> and then he came to the conference on Friday. A year ago, um, he was in an accident and realized he was at rock bottom and surrendered his life. He's been sober for a year. He's back to his painting business and we hugged it out and talked and we can't fix. But Jesus can. And I want to pray today for those that are struggling and feel stuck and those who are walking with somebody that's feeling stuck. So if you bow your heads with me, if you're here today and, and that's you, you're struggling and you feel like you're stuck in reverse, if that's you and you need help and you need to surrender and just cry out to God, just put your hand up real quick, just real quick. Awesome. Praise the Lord. And if you're walking with somebody and you just have no idea what to do and you need help and you can't do this, you can't fix them, you've been trying and you, know, you realize you can't, if that's you, just put your hand up real quick. All right. Jesus, we surrender to you. God, help us to leave that thing behind that we, that we love, that we're holding on to, to is surrender to you. And God, for those of you that are walking, God, I pray for those that are walking with somebody that's struggling. Sometimes that can be just so painful. We surrender them to you. God, help us the answers to reach out ourselves and get the help we need to support them in the right way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.